You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast. This is episode 453, and it's going to continue our catching up on some things about a week behind still on some of the big books. So we're going to end up going through those here and then hopefully, beyond hope, come back on Sunday and do the current books that actually, as I'm recording, are coming out today. So happy New comic a book day to everybody as we hit into November, the eatingest month of the year, as long as you end up celebrating Thanksgiving. And we haven't had Thanksgiving much at our house lately. Our kids are getting older. They pretty much don't like me, things like that. And also the idea of cooking this huge meal that ends up being wasted for the most part at our house is kind of a bummer. But We actually got a free turkey this year, so I may actually have to at least do that. And I'm very simple with my Thanksgiving dinner. I actually just like turkey, gravy, mashed potatoes, and corn. That's it. I don't need anything else. Yeah, you could throw in the green bean casserole and your sweet potato pies and stuff like that. But for the most part, I actually enjoy those basics of that. And that's probably what I will make for my darn self. But Like I said, we're going to go into some of these books. These came out last week, including Spider-Man, The Moon Knight Annual, The Return of Strange Academy, which was pretty cool, and maybe some others as well. But in all of that, before we go, please go over to the Twitters and follow us at WS Marvel Comics. And then if you do, you can end up telling me what you enjoy for your Thanksgiving. Maybe you like, I don't know, pecan pie. I don't know. I was going to say pumpkin pie. But for the life of me, I decided to say pecan pie. I don't understand things sometimes. I do also like biscuits, though, you know, to get in the gravies and stuff like that. You know, some fun stuff like that. But you can let me know what you think about these comics as well. Again, we're going to start off with a bit of Spider-Man as we do when that comes out. And as we go into this, I will explain why I was a huge, huge dummy. The last time that we talked about things And I felt real bad And I even went back to check If I really was a dummy And yes, it is verified 100% dummy But I'll tell you about that right now Amazing Spider-Man number 12 Is written by Zeb Wells With pencils by John Romita Jr. Inks by Scott Hanna Colors by Marcel Menez And letters by VC's Joe Caramagna Here is the recap that points out what a big, big dummy I am. And when I read the recap, I thought, oh, no, I better go back and look. And then I looked, oh, no, I'm a moron. Peter has his life pretty well put together. He's got a date with Black Cat coming up. That's always a plus, right? He's got a good job in the engineering field, though it's weird to work for reformed villain Norman Osborn's Oscorp. He's got good co-workers like intern Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Miss Marvel, a.k.a. suddenly into science to get this internship and things like that. Fell a little odd. And then it says, although she and Peter don't know each other's identities. But things got weird when Peter's old reporter friend, Ned Lead, showed him pictures of Norman Osborn with the original hobgoblin, Roderick Kingsley. Peter confronted Norman, who promised to bring Peter along to the next meeting with Kingsley, right? Right? And uh, Norman broke that promise, and his next late-night meeting was just crashed by the Hobgoblin. 
Uh, but who is wearing the mask? Could it be Ned Leeds, knowing that Ned and Betty Brant just had a baby? We sure hope not. Right. You start out the issue and you see the aftermath of the hobgoblin attack at the docks. He's gone. He's left everybody under rubble or dead. A bunch of people seem to be dead. And they end up trying, the EMT show up and end up trying to help Roderick. But there's enough of his men left to point guns at their faces. They're like, screw that. They grab Norman Osborne and take him to the hospital. And we get then to see him recovering. And we also then have Peter show up to prove once again that I'm a dummy. Because he says, you told me that you were going to the meeting on a Thursday. And you changed it to Wednesday. And I did go back and check. And yeah, there was a placard. I'm a dummy. I didn't see it. So I apologize for that. My whole play was, where's Peter? Why didn't he show up? Well, now we know why. And much to his chagrin, the Hobgoblin did attack. And it's one of those things that if he was there, maybe he could have stopped it. Maybe he could have gotten to the bottom of this whole Hobgoblin thing right away. But at this point, he is upset. He needs to look into the Hobgoblin stuff, but he also doesn't trust Norman again because Norman lied to him. And it might seem like a little lie. You could even play that Norman says, listen, Peter, this is my sins of the past, right? Just to throw that out there. But it's my thing. I don't want you to get hurt because of the trouble that I've caused. I'm trying to make it right on my own. You could go through all that, but. It's still one of those things with the huge things that have gone on between these two that most of us should know. You need, if you're going to trust, you need everything to be 100%. You can't have even little white lies or lies that would try to help you. None of that. You need to be on front street about everything and not lie. And Peter does end up, saw some people saying he overreacted a little because of this. Maybe, but maybe not, because you can't have little lies when you're not really trusting this guy anyway so he says you can't lie to me anymore but then says i'm gonna be looking into roderick you know because hobgoblin but i'm also because of that i'm gonna look into ned Leeds. but by the way ned ended up coming to me and saying you had a lot of sus things on your servers i'm gonna look into those as well and norman says fine yeah i expect you to he says that he wants to make things better, but you can't lie, Norman. He does say that he didn't fight back against the Hobgoblin because if he does, that might bring out him, you know, that whole deal with the Goblin. So he does say, I, I got the crap kicked out of me. That's why I'm here, because I couldn't really fight back and didn't want to because of that. So Peter is going to go off and check into the Hobgoblin problem that has suddenly, you know, popped its head out. And he goes to Betty. Hey, is Ned there? I need to talk to Ned. And Betty's there, and she says, hey, Peter, you know, great to see you. Yeah, you know, Ned, he's out doing his thing. He's looking into that story with Roderick and Osborne stuff. And, yeah, he's real inspired, so I'm kind of happy for him. He's He's got that, you know, moxie back. He, he's got his groove back. It may be a little too much because Peter's like, really, nothing crazy, nothing weird around no, no, everything's fine, the baby. Really, nothing weird or out of, the, you know, the deal. Oh, well, there is that thing that he kind of dresses up like the hobgoblin certain times. Oh, geez. And then Peter's like, all right, I'm out of here. I got to go find him. And she knows where he is. She has looked at the invoices. Ned hasn't said where this kind of side abandoned office deal is, but she has seen. I don't know what invoices, the idea that he is maybe renting this place that seems to be abandoned, but hey, at least it's on the books, right? So he ends up going over and confronts Ned, and when he goes in, 
I just want to say, if anybody's doing some, you know, hard-nosed investigating, you're there, whether you're a journalist, maybe you're a, a private detective, I, I don't know, maybe you're just a crazed person. If you don't want to look as crazed as that crazed person, don't go with the pictures on the board with the yarn and the stick pins. You, you don't need to do that. There's way better ways to do that now. I know that this is a look visually that you kind of get that deal. But if we're going to go with the full play here, you walk into an office or a room where somebody's doing that and you know that they are insane and you better stop them right there. First off, start by taking the board down. Say, listen, none of this board stuff because that is insane. So he ends up going in and Ned is obviously distressed. He's confused. He's trying to, you know, stop things. He's mentioning Roderick, all these things going on. But remember, Roderick was at the docks where we saw Hobgoblin attack. So, okay, that kind of puts him out of the question here. But in this, if it's Ned, suddenly, boom, and the Hobgoblin comes in the room. It's Ned's in the room as well. So the Hobgoblin comes in and hits Peter. It's kind of at this point, I kind of did almost roll my eyes thinking, okay, I think I get it now. And it's not that exciting. And I was hoping it was something different. Spoiler, it wasn't. But you end up where Peter's going to fight this hobgoblin. Now he has this new suit of his. He ends up having the the new tech. It's, you know, non-lethal, which the hobgoblin kind of laughs at. But the hobgoblin seems a little taken aback that Spider-Man has his own glider. But they're going around and and when Peter ends up getting enough trash talk thrown at him, he will do something. He ends up throwing Hobgoblin into a water tower, and they're going back and forth. And Peter is joking, so that's kind of cool. And the Hobgoblin's getting mad. This isn't a joke. Well, while this is going on, we go back to the hospital, and Norman is laying there, and the nurse brings in his laptop and things, said, your assistant brought these, thought maybe you want to do some work while you're here. A little pushy and assuming to the <laughs> the assistant there, but Norman says, "Well, I kind of wanted a break, but yeah, just leave it here. We'll see." And yeah, he's kind of bored, and he ends up opening up the computer, and he's looking at the schematics or little drawing things of a suit, and then he gets a little ping at the top of his, you know, his window there of the laptop, and it says "Spider Suit Version Two Three Incident Log in Progress." So he ends up clicking on that. And we get a live feed of the whole Spider-Man suit fight, whatnot. This is something Norman said he would not do. So there's going to be some explaining to do here, uh, whether or not Peter will find out about this right away, because I don't know how he would. But that's for us to see. But it is one of those things where it does this seem as sus as you might think. And he's just checking in on this. And it may end up saving peter's life i mean it really may end up doing that but if that's the case you're gonna have again that weird little play of norman having to decide does he end up helping peter that will then show that he was watching or does he just kind of shut i'm expecting him to shut that laptop and just put it aside and go back to sleep but it might be trouble because as Peter is just beating up the Hobgoblin now and yelling, who are you? Which one of you is in there? What not? He ends up saying, it is Roderick. It's Roderick, and that's a crazy deal. And you have this thing with this play. It goes Kingsley, and you end up, Roderick says, you can't possibly be surprised. But then he says, but you were with Osborne when the Hobgoblin attacked. 
And then he goes, I was, and he does look weirded out. He does look concerned. So that that's the weird twist of it. I mean, he might be bluffing, but why? And he's like, I was? Just then, Spider-Sense goes off again, and boom, Peter gets hit from behind and ends up kind of gathering his wits and goes and looks, and oh no, two goblins for the price of one. Oh no, I'm seeing double. Four goblins. That would be kind of funny. But yeah, it looks like the two goblins. So and it says, yes, it was me. Pleasure to be back where I belong in the Winkler device. One hobgoblin is back and Ned Leeds makes two. So and they mentioned the Winkler device when Peter went in. Almost the idea that Roderick was forcing Ned back into it. And then you get this and it might be the case. So you end up with two goblins for the price of one, I guess. And that's pretty bad. And again, that's Peter in big trouble, and Norman might be, well, or Norman is watching. Is he going to help? So all in all here, it's good. It's not great. It's one of those stories where I read it. I like the art by John Romita Jr. a lot. I think that he did a really good job in this issue. And as I read it, I'm not that excited. But then by the end, thinking back at it and reading it again and talking about it, I am a little more excited. Okay, let's see what happens. But it's one of those like, it's not a, oh my God, did you read that? Oh my God, you see, yeah, I want to see what happens and I want to see what's going on. And again, I don't have a ton of history with the Hobgoblin, but it, it just, I don't know, it just doesn't have the spark of something that's like a great story or all-time great. I can't really put my finger on I haven't seen many people talking about it or getting excited about it. Even with me doing this uh, a week later, sometimes you'll end up where people will catch up. Oh, my God, I didn't see or hear anything or anybody talking about it. Maybe that's what kind of, you know, it's not a bummer, but it just wasn't, it, it didn't get me as excited as I thought maybe it would. But it's a pretty cool cliffhanger to see what happens. And I'm more concerned with the stuff with Norman. Than I am with the Hobgoblin stuff here So we'll see how that plays out But there's also another thing that was mentioned I, I didn't mention that the baby Winston that you know Betty and Ned's baby Might have goblin blood sort of thing And that might be something thereafter as well So we'll have to see and we did see The goblin there protecting or Cradling the baby last issue the Odd if when you think about it That if it wasn't Ned but it seemed like it might have been Ned in the whole Hobgoblin deal uh, So we'll see how this all works out Overall I'm going to give it a solid 8 out of 10 Just an 8 out of 10 Liked it, didn't love it yet But that can always change So hopefully it'll up the ante next issue But we'll go to the next issue Right about now And the next book is Moon Knight Annual Number 1 Very obvious, I record these separately They're a little heavy handed transition there But Moon Knight Annual Number 1, written by Jeb McKay, art by Federico Sabatini, colors by Rachel Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Corey Petit. And if you're wondering, is this a decent enough jumping in point? And not jumping in point of knowing what is going on during Jeb McKay's run, but jumping in to maybe get a flavor, a taste of it if you haven't been reading it. First off, I suggest if you haven't, and you even have an inkling of picking up this annual, you might as well just go back. And read from the beginning anyway Because it's really solid But it may be Werewolf by Night's your jam Maybe you ended up seeing that special And you're like, okay, I kind of like this Werewolf by Night Let's go into this It's a decent enough annual It actually tells a contained story a bit here You do get a little bit of the past 
weaving in with what's going on currently with Jed McKay's run, and I think it's done in a pretty cool way. Now, will you be lost if you haven't been reading Jed McKay's run? I don't think so. Pretty much in this kind of intro paragraph, it's not really a recap, but it does end up mentioning some of the things and really what you need to know. You need to know that Reese is his vampire assistant, and you have to know that Hunter's Moon is a fellow Fist of Conchu. That's really all you need. Yes, if you read the run, that's going to be opened up more. You're going to get more details and more character work and stuff like that. But for the story, you kind of just need that. Here is what it says. Moon Knight has sacrificed and endured much to establish his midnight mission and himself as the trusted protector of his neighborhood in New York City. In the process, he's also gained several new allies, including his vampire assistant, Reese, right? You got that. And fellow Fist of Conchu, Hunter's Moon. All right. But Moon Knight's complicated past has a way of catching up to him, and that's what we end up getting in this issue. Now, before we get into the story, I just want to give a shout-out to Rod Reese's awesome homage cover. It's an homage to Werewolf by Night number 32. From 1972 and it was Moon Knight's debut appearance and if you haven't read the two-parter where Moon Knight debuts in the Werewolf by Night book back in the day and say you have Marvel Unlimited go check it out it starts out this whole crazy relationship that Moon Knight and Werewolf by Night have where they're kind of frenemies a lot of times team ups and they fight then they fight then they team up all that stuff with that kind of tie-in of Khonshu kind of leading that all around. And that's kind of what this issue is all about because Jack Russell, Werewolf by Night, has made it personal this time. He has kidnapped Mark Spector's daughter, Deatrice, and that is maybe taking it a little too far as we open the issue. You do have Deatrice's mom and the old flame of Mark, Marlene, show up and say, hey, I need to talk to Mark. We got some problems. and. Jeb McKay does a pretty good deal here, a pretty cool way of not forcing it down your throat, but giving you a subtle little history of what's going on. You really could get bogged down by narration panels with something like this. But instead, when Marlene shows up, you have Moon Knight suddenly take off his mask and it ends up being Jake, who says, oh, my God, Marlene, how you doing? And she's, oh, Jake, fine, but I really need to talk to Mark. This is important. All right, but love you. Remember, you know, maybe we'll talk later, stuff like that. And you see that she knows the alts. They like her. She likes them. It's that whole kind of deal going on. But this is trouble, and she needs to talk to Mark. And the trouble is that Beatrice, their daughter, has been kidnapped. And Jack Russell did it in a way to kind of send a message to Moon Knight that you better come and get her very quickly and what happened is that marlene and deatrice have been hiding in france when marlene's ex-husband died she decides to go to the united states to go to the funeral but why then is she blaming mark and moon knight for having deatrice kidnapped you're the one who did it lady you were in hiding and you left to go to your ex-husband's funeral it's on you Yeah, it's tough to be in a relationship or whatnot with Moon Knight. But this one's on you, Marlene. Don't give me your nonsense. If you were in the witness protection program right now and you went and did something that stupid, it's not the FBI's fault. It's your fault. So stop it. But 
it is still something Mark is going to want to, you know, stop. He's going to want to go and save Beatrice. So he will. And in the meantime, we do get to see that Jack is being nice to Beatrice. Almost sad that she has to be involved. But he mentions a prophecy, a prophecy that would end all this werewolf nonsense. It would take away the grip of Kanchu forever. And as we'll see, if this happens, Kanchu will die as well. That's something that a uh, Jack Russell, he's all for. So maybe he will go a little bit far to make that happen. And we continue that when you end up having Mark go to Bader, Hunter's Moon. To try to figure out what's happening and how they're going to attack this problem And you end up having Bader say Yeah, I kind of dabble in the prophecy as well Both Jack Russell and Bader seem to kind of be interested in reading the dark hold While you end up having Jack say I'm one of the few who was able to read it And I found this prophecy Bader ends up saying Yeah, I kind of heard about this And he goes and tells this prophecy And it's funny because every time I read this I want to break in the song, and I just may, because I swear to God, this is almost set to the tune of That's Amore, because it starts out, when the moon leads the skies, you can't lead with that and have an ellipsis without me starting to sing, and it's like, when the moon leads the skies, that's when can't you will die, that's amore. Like, you could go into that, right? It'd be hilarious if Bader himself did it, and we find out, holy crap, the twist of all of this was this was a musical issue that didn't happen, unfortunately. Here's actually what the prophecy says. I won't sing again, I promise. When the moon leads the skies, I almost did. The, the blood of the fist, anoint it with the blood of the fist. A weapon to kill their grandsire, the moon god forged by the king of all wolves, anointed in blood, tempered with a curse. Now, we find out later what that really means. I'll just tell you now what has to happen here. In a night where there's a lining up of the moon with the planets, you know, astrology mumbo jumbo that works in books like this and almost goes to what me and Jason laughed about constantly in the new Fantastic Four book, Scissorgy. Not quite full Scissorgy, but still. And so on this night, if you end up getting this, you know, daughter of, the moon night, which isn't supposed to happen, but if there's there and you're able to get the blood of both the werewolf by night and the blood of moon night, kind of mix it up a little black magic mumbo jumbo and boom, you'll have Beatrice turn into the werewolf that will cure all of the werewolfisms going on and will break the hold of Kanchu and kill him. So all of this is something Jack Russell is all about. But on the flip side, dying is not really what Kanchu wants. So Kanchu is not in for this. Kanchu will make his presence in this issue in a way that he wants sus things to go because he's a sus god. So what are they going to do? They're going to get into their car and it's road trip time to go and save Beatrice. Now, if you pull back a little, there's two times in this issue where I thought, yeah, that was kind of forced. But if you think that Jack Russell will kill an innocent little girl, then yes, you need to get in that car and get to his mansion right now. If you think he might not do that at the end, then you could wait till the next morning, say 10 a.m., and then go knock on the front door and say, hey, I'm here for Beatrice. She's no good to you now. Let's go. Because all this has to happen this night. 
So if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. So you kind of could have Moon Knight just stay away. But maybe it's the idea, hey, Jack's desperate. But desperate for what? Because he still can't do it without it. But they end up hitting the road. And when they get to the mansion, it's a really cool cinematic play where the car is driving right at the front door of the mansion and both Hunter's Moon and Moon Knight jump out of the car and the car just goes right through the front door because who wants to knock or open doors yourself? Just have your car do it for you. But in a smart play, you end up having the gasoline spillage from this wreck as it goes in and kind of wrecks into the foyer or the front room, whatever. It's going to take a lot of money. I don't know who's paying for the repairs, but all of that, you have that gasoline going and the werewolves that are there with Jack Russell they rely a lot on smells. So now all they can smell is the gasoline. And they say, like, it's almost like, oh, man, now there's a surprise attack. Is there? Because they just ran right through your front door. You know they're there. Be on guard. This isn't exactly the most surprise of surprise attacks, but it works. And you end up where Mark says to Hunter's Moon, listen, you go get Beatrice. You make sure she's okay. I'm going to fight Jack Russell. And this is the second forced part. Because Hunter's Moon says, whoa, whoa, whoa. The prophecy is that Jack has to get your blood. Why are you walking right into the prophecy then? You go get Beatrice. You guys skedaddle. And I will fight Jack Russell. But really, once you get Beatrice, and you can just run. You don't necessarily have to fight Jack Russell. You may even be able to, like, you know, guy's a little crazed up this night. He's got this prophecy. Doesn't want to be a werewolf anymore by night or by day, any sort of timing. He don't want to be it. So maybe we just grab Beatrice and run. And then they probably are like, well, we kind of just crashed the car into the front door. Yeah, that that wasn't a great idea, was it? So they're going to fight. And I think that in the end, you have Mark should say, well, this is a comic book annual. And the big thing is me and werewolf by night on the cover. So we got to fight. So they go off and they're going to fight. So. I mentioned the idea that Khonshu, he was not really down with all this plan working out. So what he does is go into the head of Hunter's Moon, and he is going to try to get him to kill Beatrice, which that's a cool deal. Now, I will mention another thing. When the car ends up crashing and the werewolves go over to check out what's going on, there is a kind of shrapnel pipe bomb type deal filled with just silverware, and I mean silverware. And it blows up and all the silverware goes into all the werewolves. That hurts. It hurts. And that's where you end up having Moon Knight and Hunter's Moon jump down. Well, you know what? And it's kind of a really cool crap talking line. The hurt that you have now, you'll look back at as the best time of the end of your life because I'm now going to lay on real hurt and, you know, all that stuff. But it is to get Jack Russell to come out and they're going to fight. And it's an extended fight. You end up having it back and forth and you end up seeing. You know, kind of Jack Russell has a little bit of a sympathetic character here. He just wants to end this, and he hates Conchu. Conchu's using him. In the meantime, you have Mark, who in the series hasn't really been down or talking with Conchu anyway. So you kind of may be able to kind of come to something. But when it involves Beatrice's daughter, that's where the, the deal ends. You can't do that. But Hunter's Moon goes to Beatrice and grabs her, and you don't know if he is going to kill Beatrice or not because he has been pretty much a company man with Conchu. He's been in this series. Jed McKay is using him as that reminder. Conchu doesn't want that. 
Kanchu doesn't like this because Mark's kind of not down with Kanchu. So he is kind of the lay of the law of Kanchu deal. And he's being told directly from Kanchu to kill her. And, you know, surprise, surprise, he doesn't do it. He doesn't end up doing it because by the end, I think that the hero of the story is the cuteness of Deatrice. Nobody wants to kill her. And she's a tough cookie. She ends up talking trash on, you know, her dad, Jack Russell, all of them telling, stop your nonsense. Because by the end of this, and I think it's kind of a funny little wink, wink, maybe the fight between Moon Knight and uh, Moon Knight and Werewolf by Night is so long and extended that by the time they're done, it's morning. And now the prophecy can't be fulfilled anyway. So they're kind of like, all right, we'll see you next time we fight. All right. You know. Keep yourself, you know, on the straight and narrow a bit more and don't run into me and stuff like that. But it is Deatrice who's really tough at the end that kind of tells both of them that they're nonsense and she hates this nonsense and they go off. And so when they do go off, you end up having a nice bit at the end with Moon Knight and Marlene. You know, she says we're going to have to find somewhere else to hide. Stay there this time, lady, please. But. You end up, Mark says, you could stay here. We can protect you here at the Midnight Mission. That'd be cool. We could be a family. She's like, no, that's not going to happen. It's kind of difficult to, you know, be around you this way and whatnot. And, you know, the Moon Knight stuff always ends up creeping in anyway. So why even chance at being here? We're going to go off and find some place. And then he says, well, I can end up giving this all up. I'll go with you. As just Mark, I'll give it all up, go with you. And she's like, yeah, you know about that. You're kind of a pain, too. So I don't need that. (laughs) So they end up where a big play is they're just going to have ice cream. You have Beatrice say, can we have ice cream with Dad like you promised the one time? And that's kind of a bittersweet, kind of sweet thing, though. You know, bittersweet, sweet, I said. Um, And in the meantime, while all this was going on, Marlene was talking with Reese. About how it is to be in a relationship with Moon Knight and questions if Reese is in love with Moon Knight. And Reese says, No, he really needs a friend. He's not my type, but he really needs somebody. The really only person that he has is Tigra, who's kind of a snitch, but all his old friends have ditched him. He's a lonely guy. I need to help him out, which is nice because throughout the whole series, you're more being given the focus of Mark trying to help Reese. But now you kind of pull it back and see that she's also being a friend for him when he really needs it. So that's a nice way to end it. All that kind of ends with them walking out and Mark's going to go get ice cream with Beatrice and Marlene and then say their goodbyes and whatnot. But cool deal. And I kind of wish that you would have more Beatrice in the whole regular run because I like her a lot. I think that she's really cool. She might have been a really cool addition to be hanging around because even at the one point, she's just there talking to Reese. Hey, what's it like to be a vampire? Pretty cool. And then Reese kind of throws the joke. Ah, it's okay. Sometimes usually it just sucks. And they both laugh. But I think that this would be a cool little back and forth with them have her at the midnight mission. But unfortunately, that is not going to happen, at least for now. Hopefully it will, though. But overall, I think it's really good. I'm going to give it an 8.8 out of 10. And I suggest if it's something where you usually don't read annuals, even if you're reading the Moon Knight series, I don't deal with annuals. This has enough to do with the current run and then has some, you know, older things tied in to make it a one shot, but it's still kind of cool. 
And it's something that really fits in with the rest of the run. I think that anybody who's already reading Moon Knight should definitely read it. And people who haven't been reading Moon Knight, whether you never gave it a shot or maybe you fell off it a bit, it's a neat story to come in and enjoy a bit and kind of get the flavor of what this book is about. So I highly suggest it to just about everyone. Now, one thing I will say, I do like the art enough in this issue. It's pretty good. It's a facsimile kind of of what we usually get because Federico Sabatini does a decent enough job, but it is really, and that's I'm not giving shade to Sabatini here when I'm giving us props. Alessandro Capuccio, who does the usual art in this book, is outstanding, and it's really one of the real pushes, one of the real draws of the book itself. So if that's the case, it, it, yeah, you even have more reason to kind of jump on the whole run if you haven't been. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to get it out of my mush mouth, but we'll move on to the next book. I hope we don't get into song and this one, but you never know. It could happen at any time. So we're going to go off right now to Venom. Venom number 12, Venom World Part 2. Still sounds like a very sus amusement park that you don't want to go to. Written by Ram V, pencils by Brian Hitch, inks by Andrew Curry, colors by Alex Sinclair, and letters in production by VCs Clayton Cowles. And here is the recap. Eddie Brock, the king in black, leader of the symbiote species in the center of its telepathic hive mind, inadvertently dislodged his consciousness from space-time. He's become a rat in a maze, and its center is an evil and near-omnipotent king in black called Meridius. And Eddie's learned the horrifying truth. He is Meridius, or he will be. Remember, everybody's Eddie. Eddie is everyone. Eddie is destined to become all the kings in black, all of them across time and space, including the raging monster Bedlam. Eddie's son Dylan, now bonded to the Venom symbiote, was attacked and left in a comatose state by Bedlam, but Dylan's consciousness, saved by Venom, awoke in a world surrounded by symbiotes, a great black cage and guarded by a keeper, barring Dylan's way out. Now, this is a dense story. Ram V is throwing a lot at the reader, and I think that some of the things are supposed to remain a little mysterious. While at points, I think he's trying to recap things that he didn't really deal with for a while, maybe to go forward. So all in all, I do like this issue enough, but it's one of those that by the end I felt exhausted trying to figure out what this is and what that is because we are playing of the mind a lot of it, and that always gets wacky. But then we end up seeing Sleeper kicking complete ass. But what is he up to? What are they doing? All this stuff kind of goes to the end that ends up referencing a bunch of things from Donny Cates' run, but not stuff that maybe people wanted to see or whatnot. It's, it's very odd. I'm telling you, it's a wacky issue that big things happen, but I don't see anybody talking about them. And I'm wondering if it's because they're confused or if they just don't like it. I don't know. But you end up starting out with. Dylan fighting his father, Eddie, but it's the memory Eddie that's kind of calling himself the keeper. We talked about this last issue. Eddie's everyone. Everyone's Eddie. So they're fighting. And in that fight, you kind of get this idea that the keeper is trying to teach something to Dylan, trying to give his son of the mind kind of some info, maybe getting him inspired, all this stuff leading to him then going to fight whatever is in the Cubazoid and get the heck out of there. And it's almost like a gatekeeper type of deal. And I don't mean what people might be thinking, the bad part. It's almost the idea 
you have to get good enough to defeat me and then you can move on. I can't let you go on before that. And eventually it does happen. You have where Dylan has the sword arm, the symbiote sword arm, and he eventually runs through Eddie with it. But in that, Ram V tries to get some feels out of this because there is Dylan fighting his father. But they keep getting pulled back because it's the memory of his father, not necessarily his father. And when real important questions come down, like, why did you leave me when you got your powers? You end up having the keeper memory Eddie play dumb and say, eh, just a memory. I don't know. That stuff does not compute. But then starts waxing philosophy with the idea of, listen here, little boy. And here's the dialogue. And it's funny again, because it doesn't really feel like Eddie. But hey, who knows what this keeper is up to in this cosmic Eddie nowadays. Sometimes the only answers you get are the ones you figure out for yourself. Right there, he says that. You're like, so you don't know anything. I get it. You're you're dumb. But then he continues. As he's dissipating out and falling apart, the symbiote goo is kind of going away from him. And he ends up, but that path begins with stepping out of the shadows that fall so darkly upon you. All right, you got two seconds before you're going to dissipate. Get to the point there, keeper. Seriously. And he says, we must all overcome our fathers one way or another. All right, now we're on the couch. And then finally says, as he's horrifically dissipating, maybe Eddie Brock leaving you had nothing to do with you. Kind of know that, right? And that whole play, it doesn't really play out well with the feels as it's a horrifically dissipating Eddie and the symbiote. But that ends up, you pass the test, you ended up defeating me. So here, have my symbiote go. And it does go, and you end up getting what I think is pretty kick-ass symbiote, the one that we saw at the end of King and Black, the hey, kids, chains are cool. You got that spawn-looking deal going, and now it's going to take it to the Cubazoid. It's going to run up them chains and jump into that Cubazoid. Let's see what goes on. And I was kind of fired up at this point. Well, then we go off to see what Sleeper's up to, because Sleeper is trying to go get the body of Dylan, the comatose body in the real world. He's trying to gather that up with a plan of with Archer to get this and bring back Dylan. So we'll see how that all goes as he goes. The Life Foundation is bringing the body out, being led by our favorite Carson. You know, Carson Spearhead with his anti-venom suit. We haven't seen him in a while. And I think that maybe this scene here, it does progress the plot, obviously. But I think there's also things in here to remind you about old spearhead and also give you a little rundown of the power set of sleeper now also in that right away i'm thinking okay do we have hank hensley here the sleeper agent that ended up being taken and it seems like it is until he dissipates and then i don't get it but you end up having this big fight you know you end up having the life foundation goons they end up using flamethrowers stuff like that and Sleeper agent laughs and says, really, you got that old playbook? You're still going by that because that's not going to work. And then starts yelling out things like, I got a polyurethane molymer here. (laughs) It got a little wonky, but you end up where sleeper agent is able to take them down and then go against Spearhead. And even with that ends up, and I'm telling you, what he's yelling out in these powers and the things that he says he's doing, I don't quite get what Ramvi's going with, but I do believe that I read that Ramvi at one point was a chemical engineer, so I think he knows what's going on. But when he says, 
if I synthesize an air-filled non-Newtonian fluid around my body, it tickles. Okay, it tickles. That's cool. I don't know what you're saying. But he ends up breaking the sonic spear that you have spearhead. Now, that's the problem is when you're called spearhead and your spear ends up getting broken. I don't know. You might have to go and rebrand yourself. But in that, you do end up having the final power revealed where Sleeper says to Carson, you know, I have another power. It's it's not the power to love either. It's the power to make duplicates. Ha ha. Got you. Dissipates. And then we end up seeing Sleeper loading up Dylan's body into the helicopter and it's being piloted by Archer. So they get away. And it's a nice scene. I actually like it. I love Sleeper. I love seeing Sleeper kick ass. Plus, Sleeper's able to take it back to Carson, who ended up capturing him before. So you get a little vengeance. You have that grudge deal. I like that. They go off. So they're going to go and take... (laughs) This is where things get really wacky. I'll tell you right now. They're going to take the body of Dylan to try to revive him. They're going to end up taking him to Baywater, down in the sewers. And they have the Venom symbiote there that is kind of decaying. They're going to be able to kind of get that symbiotic stuff into Dylan. In the meantime, Dylan of the mine has gotten to the Cubazoid. And so in that, you end up having this Venom all voice talking to Dylan saying, hey, listen here. Welcome to my abode. I like to call it Mia Clintar. And who are you? Who do you think you are, Dylan? And it's kind of a play almost like the movie Miracle, where you had it. It's like, who do you play for? Minnesota, the Golden Gophers. No, no, no. You go do laps. Who do you play for? Boston University. Nope, you do push-ups. Who do you play for? Finally, Michael Ruzioni steps up and is like, Team USA. Do I win? Yes, you do. Everybody, we're Team USA. It keeps asking Dylan, what, what is your name? Who are you? Who are you? Well, you know, I'm Dylan. Yeah, no, no. Besides that, what are you? Well, I'm Venom. No, no, no. I'm Venom. Who are you? And it keeps going and basically says by the end, I named you, Dylan. I was the one who named you. And now we need you to look at what you are, go through a rebirth. And then when you come out, you will emerge as what you really are. It's a really wacky progression in my mind of how this all works out. I think it could have been done a lot clearer. Where you almost then go where Dylan looks in. Hey, look at this mirror. It's more of a reflective surface. But look, oh, no, I'm falling inside of it. And now I'm a fetus. And now I'm now pushed out. And I look like I'm probably, you know, in my mind, Terminator coming where I'm all crouched over. And and now I'm going to emerge. And it's just, it's wacky. And so what you end up having by the end is as you have Sleeper and Archer revive Dylan with the symbiote that is there decaying and whatnot in the basement sewers of Baywater, you also have this of the mind Venom world explode because now Dylan is going to be revived in the real world, but he's being revived as a new form that goes by Codex. Here I am. And he ends up having this deal where you don't even, in my mind, I didn't even know Who was saying this? What was going on? Dylan Brock is the name of Eddie's son, but I'm not human. Venom is your name. I am not Clintar. I am the broken chain. I know it now, the truth, the meaning. I am not a cage, not an eventuality, but an endless possibility and a freedom. I am a key, a codex. And boom, I wish that in that last panel, because he ends up in the sewer water of Baywater. 
I wish that you saw next to him Archer and Sleeper because at first I didn't know where he was. And he has now the look of not Dylan, but he has the look of Dylan from the Venom Beyond story that we had, you know, that whole Elseworlds type deal, future weird deal where you did have Dylan in that being the king in black there. So you end up having that. Also, he has the Necro Sword. There is a lot of crazy thing. He has the all black. He pulls that out at the one point to have this explosion. And now he's there as that Venom Beyond look with the Necro Sword there in the sewers of Baywater. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, is this is pretty big. But I didn't see anybody talking about it. And even when I asked people, hey, what happened here? What happened there? They didn't seem to know. So I hope that I explained it in some sort of way that made sense because it's wacky. It's hard to, to kind of get with it. And by the end, I was like, I don't really know what I think of this. I don't know if I like it, if I'm excited, if I'm upset. I kind of was a bit excited. I kind of are, you know, it's weird because just this last issue last week when I did the Carnage review, Ram V, I got excited by the end of that when they mentioned Venom. But it still ends up, I'm excited. I think this is cool. Though I wish that Dylan could have just been Dylan. This may end up, and I don't know how this plays out, and I don't think as many people are going to get a, upset at this, but kind of feels like what they did to John Kent over at DC. I wanted to see Dylan become his own Venom. Not in this way. I actually wish that after King and Black, Eddie would have went, and he's of the hive mind. He's doing that stuff. And just let Dylan kind of be Dylan Venom, see what he's got going on and all that, and then eventually maybe get to this stuff. But We'll see. I don't know. I don't know what anybody thinks about this. Nobody's talking to me about Venom. So if you want to, I'll just mention it now. We still have one more book. But if you want to, you can get a hold of me at on uh, Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. If you follow us, I will follow you back. I say that as not a catchphrase. It's what we do. And then you could send me a DM and say, well, I kind of liked it because of this. Or you missed that. Because, again, it's easy to miss things. I'm a dummy. All that stuff. But by the end, I'm like, all right, <laughs> like, there's some big stuff going on. So with that, I'm going to give it an 8.5. I actually did like this issue a lot more than what we've been getting, even with it being wacky and of the mind and stuff like that. By the end, it took me a while, a lot of readings, too, to get to this point. But I think that that's some big stuff and some kind of cool stuff. But we'll move on to the next book. And the last book we're going to talk about is fan favorite Strange Academy. It's Strange Academy Finals number one. Written by Scotty Young, art by Umberto Ramos, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I like Strange Academy. I ended up falling off at the very end. You ended up having massive delays. You ended up having tie-ins, annuals. That All that led to me not actually being caught up. And I did catch up to record this. Then I go into this, and I see that Scotty Young is well aware that a lot of people didn't finish out what came before and he ends up having a clever way beyond the recap page of recapping getting everybody up to speed going into this i thought it was really well done in a play that's like a hello mother hello father but we'll get to that because i'm gonna read the recap page right here strange academy is divided emily's increasing frustrations with the faculty reached their boiling point when calvin was expelled for dealing wishes to the rest of the student body and as we've learned in the magical world, wishes are meth. That's just plain and simple. Finally, having enough, she led the majority of the other students in a walkout and hid in the Sanctum Sanctorum, 
But when the students were discovered by Dr. Voodoo and Zelma, Emily revealed just how far she was willing to take her rebellion. After turning the mindless ones against her former teacher, she opened up a portal to the dark dimension where the students who still believed in her cause followed, and a lot of them did. So she is now in the dark dimension. They went to a camp that she used to go to, but then the camp gets taken into the dark dimension is what's going on. So at least they have a nice little area that they're going about. But I said that there's this neat little Hello Mudda, Hello Fada kind of Camp Granada deal. And you do start out with a student writing home to her mom and dad. And hey, dear mom and dad, things are a little wacky here. I don't know if you heard Dr. Strange got killed. This Emily girl got really upset about this Calvin guy getting expelled, you know, kind of all that. But what led to this, but also showing that some of the people are a little, you know, and kids, I mean, there, I, you know, are scared. They don't know what's going on. Maybe they don't fully trust Emily anymore. And you really do get to spell out the stuff with Doyle and Emily, this prophecy of who was going to end the world, who was going to end Strange Academy. It's one of them. At first, we're really led to believe it's Doyle because, of course, he's Dermammu's son. You would think that he's the sus one, but now the kids are saying, I don't know. It might actually be Emily. I may have picked the wrong side here. And trying to send this letter home to mom, the letter gets intercepted and Emily burns it. I ain't going to deliver that letter. And what I think this reminds me of the most, and I don't know if if Scott Young saw the movie or whatnot, It's a movie that I don't hear a lot of people talking about, even though it had a a huge cast of Sean Penn, Tom Cruise, Timothy Hutton, uh, a a lot of others. It was Taps, the movie from the 80s. Don't hear a lot of people talking about about a military academy where the students end up taking over. That didn't end well. I don't know that this will either. But with all of that set up where you have Zoe starting to really question Emily. And and the big play is Emily keeps saying, yeah, but what about Calvin? That's her martyr. Zoe calls her out on it. Oh, Calvin this, Calvin that. Finally, Zoe says, if you're so concerned about Calvin, where is he? Why didn't you go and find him? You could have even brought him here with us to the dark dimension, and then he wouldn't be having problems or whatnot. But why aren't you going to find him then if that was your deal? He's your symbol. You don't care about it. Get out of town, you. And they're really starting to butt heads. Well, we go to see what Calvin is up to. Well, Calvin is dealing out the wishes slash meth and maybe heroin. I don't know. But he is dealing and he, you know, these older guys, he ends up giving them, of course, the first taste is free routine. They have tasted and tested the wishes. The one kid says, oh, man, it was awesome. I got wings and I was flying around for a full day. This other guy, maybe not a real thinker, he's like, yeah, I was able to eat pizza for 24 hours straight without getting sick or even feeling full. I'm sitting to myself saying, how much money do you have to buy all those pizzas? I mean, if you're going to wish for things, maybe just wish for unlimited pizza. When I snap my fingers, I get pizza. Who cares how many you can eat in a day? What are you doing, challenges on YouTube? I mean, maybe you can. Maybe that's how he gets his money for the pizza. I don't know. That is the opposite, like, deal. As for, it drives me nuts, these kids nowadays. But then, yeah, you end up where we need more, bruh. You got to give us more. And that's where Calvin gives them the, well, the first taste is free. And But then these older kids go, yeah, yeah, we kind of know that routine. I'm going to flip the script here. We're going to beat the crap out of you and take your wishes. 
Oh, no, I want Calvin to suddenly use a wish. I wish that they don't kick the crap out of me. Oh, my goodness, it worked. Calvin would get it and be like, I want pizza for two days. <laughs> Stop it. But, yeah, they kick the crap out of him and steal the wishes. That is not going to go good with Gaslamp when he goes back to Gaslamp and says, oh, my God, Gaslamp, I'm sorry. I'll help you get this back. Gaslamp says, oh, I know you will, and sends him down below to the drain where you have pretty much the Matrix-esque kind of deal, almost a Dickensian type of feel as well with a steampunk deal that goes well with the gas lamp, right? It all works out. Umberto Ramos's art is great. And you're going to get strapped to the machine while they suck the living heck out of you and get your wishes. They're going to suck them dreams out of you so that you can end up filling up. the. Now, then I start wondering if these wishes then Does that have to be that somebody had to dream that at one time? I don't know. These wishes and math, I don't understand all of it. I'm a good boy. I don't know. When when I heard uh, originally about like that crocodile stuff, remember that? The bath salts and things scared the crap out of me. I thought that there was going to be a zombie plague. Holy moly. But we go back to the school and you have Wanda trying to make the best of this. There's not a lot of students, so. She's going to teach them about perception and reality and learning that perception is reality so that if you can end up doing this sort of deal, what you perceive as something can become real. And this is all to push something I love where we get Gus, the frost giant, who pretty much through this whole series has been outside the school looking in the window. That's pretty much what Gus has done. And I still love Gus, though, up until a little bit ago, I thought Gus was a girl. Gus is a guy. And so they say, hey, you know, this is what we're going to do. Gus is going to perceive that he is in the school. And whether or not he's perceiving himself as smaller or the school is being larger, it doesn't matter because of voila bing, you end up having Gus now the size that can go in the school. Perception becomes reality. I don't know how this plays out when Gus goes back to Jointenheim and they're like, what happened to you, small fry? But then again, it's perception, so it's all wacky. But all in all, it gives you something that I really like. I like that Gus is able to go into the school going forward. That is really cool. So with that, though, Wanda says, okay, well, we're going to do it again with somebody else. And I think next up is Doyle Dermamu. Don't do that. Doyle even says, listen, that's fine and fun with Gus here. But every time something like this happens with me, it goes south. It goes sour. It's nonsense. Please, no. No, no. I insist. We're going to do it. Just relax. And boom, all of a sudden you start to do it. And what he ends up perceiving is the giant battle to end all battles between himself and Emily, that whole prophecy. And then we get kind of not so much the Freddy Krueger dream, you know, rules, but still kind of a rule of, well, we have to defeat this whole thing. To them remind your mama it's not real, so then it will go away before it becomes reality. It's a little wonky, but it's okay. You end up, again, being reminded of this prophecy. You have all the students and everybody getting involved in this fight. And by the end of it, they are able to stop it. Doyle ends up, oh, my God, you know, I'm sorry about that. Hey, uh, you know, this sucks. (laughs) And basically, you go from there and you feel bad. For Doyle, because Doyle is very sympathetic here compared to raving lunatic Emily, 
in the dark dimension who pretty much turns on Zoe and Desi and all of them because she doesn't allow anybody to have any sort of other opinion of what they're doing except that, man, this is great and it's the just thing. Everybody fight for Calvin, all that stuff. Zoe calls her fully on it. They start to insult each other. You end up having Emily. You're a stinking zombie. And then you end up where you have Zoe say, well, you you have that stupid arm of yours. And Emily does have a point like, well, I got that saving somebody. You're just a stinking zombie because you are selfish. And they start fighting. They start going at it. And with that, there's a huge explosion. And as she does, gets the mindless ones who come out. Mindless ones do a lot of work now for Emily. They come out, grab Zoe, and she announces to everybody, listen here, Zoe is leaving. If you want to leave with her and you don't think that we have a good cause, then you best get out right now. But all you're going to be doing is going back to Dr. Voodoo and his nonsense, and he's going to control you, and he's going to be mean, and he's still going to be that. I am right now getting the heck out now i don't i don't trust emily to really let them out but i don't care i would still say i'm out i'm going with zoe get the mindless ones come on grab me throw my white pale butt out of here because i am done and yeah she says all right everybody can go and then it says to be continued doesn't really say when you do have an issue number two at the back but sometimes you would have a date for it, it would say December, and then you'd have that. I think that Scotty Young has learned his lesson because every time he did that, it never came out that month. So we just know that issue number two will come eventually. So we'll see. And it may have been solicited by now. I may not have seen that. So if it is coming out, I hope it's coming out soon because I did like this. I think it's really good. It really sets up everything, gets everybody back on board to what's going on recently, really sets Emily in. At first, I didn't like the idea of Emily kind of turning into the evil one in this, but I think that's a cool twist. I think that she's also not really herself all the time and things like that going on. So I do like that. And maybe all of this is kind of like, all right, keep this going, keep this going. And then Doctor Strange comes back, boom, and he's able to set things right. Right? Clea, she don't care about this nonsense, it seems. (laughs) She's like, screw that. That's the one thing that I ended up inheriting that I really don't care about this strange academy. Get that out of my face. I don't need to. Though she would be pretty big on this, especially dealing with the dark dimension and the strange academy. She has connections. All that would be cool. But she seems to be a little scarce right now. She's got she's got troubles of her own to deal with. Right. So we'll leave that to that. So overall, I'm going to give this a nine out of ten. I really liked it. I had fun. I really like what they did with Gus. I love Gus, and now Gus can be there. I'll be so happy seeing Gus just being happy in the classroom, not just peeking in. Half the time, they didn't even open the window. Gus is trying to read lips. I don't know that Gus can read lips. Probably got a whole different idea of what the school was about, just hanging outside. If I was Gus, I would have ripped the, you know, done like the kaiju, ripped the ceiling or the roof off and looked in. Right? That's how I would have played it. They would have kicked my butt right out. I would have been with Calvin selling meth wishes. Holy moly. But the art's great. Umberto Ramos is great with this all. So, yeah, that is it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I hope that you continue to enjoy all the podcasts here on the Marvel feed, including the Weird Dose of X episodes that Jason and Ruben are doing. And even now that Judgment Day has ended, 
they're going to continue on with the current X-Men books in some format that they're working on. That's their business, right? It's not my business. But also listen to the Star Wars episodes that we have every Friday with me and my man, Dr. Matt, where even if we're a little down on the books right now because they seem to be treading water, uh, we're coming up to the whole Hidden Empire deal with the Crimson Dawn. That should be pretty cool. So that's coming up. And then if you are interested in things like DC Comics or manga, all that, you can end up hitting the show notes of this episode. There is a link tree that you can click on and get links to all of our podcasts, like I said, including the manga and the DC stuff. And also go over to Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. Follow us. We'll follow you back. And then you can talk to me about Venom, like I said earlier, Strange Academy or everything with that. And finally, go to our website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com, to read reviews of all or most of the books that come out each and every week from Marvel. And then go to our Patreon, Patreon.com slash Weird Science. There's a lot to get out here. Uh, at the Patreon there, you go each level, more and more podcasts. It's more based on getting more content, more podcasts than, say, you know, a little wing ding or a bumper sticker or something like that. We like to listen to podcasts, and so we like to do podcasts. That's what we offer. Pretty much about 60 to 70 episodes of different podcasts each and every month, including Marvel stuff, DC manga, all that. So go check it out. It's free to join up. You'll end up having a free ride until the end of the month that you join up. As we're talking right now, that would be November. And then you'd get to decide if you want to stay and go into the next month, which would be December right now, then you would pay whatever you ended up signing up for. But if you want to just bail, you're like, that's not for me. I did money's tight, whatever the case may be. You can end up quitting before the next month starts and you'll never be charged. So it's a free trial. I think that we do enough over there that you might enjoy it. So with all of that said and done, there's a lot there. Oh, I didn't even talk about the The wolf wolf man. But hey, everybody, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate everybody, and I'll talk to you later. Go read comics. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution.